Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXL AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and 101.9 in beautiful downtown Manchester, New Hampshire. We're podcast wherever in the known universe you find your podcasts. And if you're listening by podcast, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Tell all your friends about us. Like us on social media. Do all those things that help us grow our expanding fan base. Well, it's political season, as it often is on Capitol Close-Up, and I wanted to move over to the other side of the aisle today. As folks know, I'm 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 just an inveterate lefty. Our guest today is Michael Graham. He is a conservative media personality and commentator based um, in the Northeast. He's the political editor for the New Hampshire Journal. He's been a columnist for the Boston Herald, CBS News analyst, um, and the New Hampshire Journal uh, describes itself, at least online, as an online news publication dedicated to providing fair, unbiased reporting on and analysis of political news of interest to New Hampshire. Now, I've recently joined Michael on his podcast, and I'm really delighted that he's decided to venture over to the left side of the aisle to join me on this podcast, because let's face it, the New Hampshire Journal specializes in some clickbait that that skewers Democrats. And I think it's just a joyful thing for us to be able <laughs> to get on the radio together and and see where it goes. Michael Graham, Welcome to Capital Close-Up. It is a delight to be with you, Congressman. And obviously, your listeners realize that the only reason you're on my podcast is that you lost a bet. And uh, <laughs> But it was a win for me and a win for my listeners. We had a great time. It was. So before we get into some of the political whys and wherefores and sure. news of, of the day, I want to talk a little bit about you. It's the kind of thing that you probably never get to to talk about. And I'm delighted, by the way, to never talk about one of my least favorite topics. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, that's a very that's it's humbling, I know, but <laughs> you've had you've had a fascinating career. It's just it's one of those careers that in a way reminds me not quite of mine. I mean, I was an accidental congressman because <laughs> I had a career as a, I was an actor, producer, playwright, musician right. um, before, well before I, I got into either law or politics. And you worked as a stand-up comedian before beginning your political career. I was an accidental everything. I've never had a job that I sought. I've always fallen backwards into every job, including New Hampshire Journal and Inside Sources. That was not a plan. It just kind of happened. Yeah, but let's go back to the beginning. So, okay. talk, well, the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and then there was a meteor. <laughs> and, oh, I'm sorry, did I? Yeah, no, no, that's okay. A little so, bit off, and then some stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there you are. You're you you've graduated um, from the Oral Roberts University. Yes, and I did. You decide to be. To to jump into stand up <laughs> comedy, what were you thinking? I and was thinking I have an English literature degree from Oral Roberts University, so you know it's not like I was going to get a job with that. You know, I foolishly I grew up in rural South Carolina where I spent my formative years running from large hairy people named Bubba. 
uh, m- many of them women. And Oral Roberts was the school, the farthest from South Carolina that offered me a free ride. And so I went and I got this degree. I have no idea why I degree in English literature. And I got out and you know, what are you going to do? And you know, the difference is I didn't have a, you know, a, a president of the United States who was a generous Democrat willing to throw, you know, four grand at me for my, or excuse me, 20 grand at me for my college debt. So I had to go get a job and I'd been, um, like amateur night guy at a you know local comedy place making a few bucks. It was all very uh, under the radar because at Oral Roberts University you were forbidden from drinking on or off campus. You could literally be kicked out of school mm-hmm. for having a glass of wine back home with your parents. So yeah. I had to I worked nefariously, you know. And mm. uh, it was the comedy boom had you know taken off, and suddenly the country. You know this you know from your you know uh, show business background and music business. You know you have these fads that happen, and so you know like you know, country music took off, you know, that first renaissance country music back in the eighties. And you suddenly went from, you know, 50 country, you know, large country music venues around the country to 250. So they just need bands. So all of a sudden, all these jazz bands just suddenly turn themselves into honking Willie and the tongue tails, you know? So I was there, they needed people who could make sentences and not fall down. And I felt that, and I started doing it, you know, for money here and there. And next thing I knew I had six months of my life booked and I was making more money than the crappy day job I had right out of college. And so I did it. So I spent six years on the national comedy circuit, uh, 41 states. I worked with, you know, some astonishingly talented people like Robin Williams and Jeff Foxworthy and uh, Chris Rock. And I also worked with some incredibly not talented people. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, uh, once again, much like I'm sure like your life, you know, doing music on the road. And for six years, I was a stand-up comic. I paid my bills. I had no day job. No, you know, my parents did not uh, subsidize me. I was just out uh, paying the bills, uh, drinking alcohol and having a great time. That's remarkable. That's well, it's certainly, it's a, it's a pretty good background for getting into politics because there's a lot of similarity uh, between stand-up comedy and politics. At <laughs> no, least, no, no, no. Republican politics is much funnier. Trust yeah. me. Trust me. It's <laughs> so, unintentional. It's unintentional, but it's much, much funnier. Hey, listen, if as a candidate, you're working it right, and y- then there's a lot to be said for <laughs> stand-up comedy in your, in your stump speech, because I got to tell you, I got I got so tired as a candidate of uh, trying to deliver these dry stump speeches that my staff or my consultants or whoever thought I ought to give to talk about issues. Right. People really, you know, do they do they really care about issues? Well, maybe mm-hmm. what they really care about, I think, is what kind of person are you? Where do you come from? You know, are you going to steal all the money or just as much as you can? <laughs> At least that's the approach of, of voters right, exactly. these days. You know, how much are you going to take us for? So, so you move from 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 uh, from stand up comedy to political comedy because right. you then worked for the statewide as a statewide coordinator for Pat Buchanan's primary campaign mm-hmm. in the early nineties, um, and then so I got to tell I got to tell yeah. you the story. I got to tell the story, sister. So I knew I I, I was a uh, political junkie in the scene. You know, I followed the political news. I was inter- always interested in politics as a kid. Never even, once again, just like stand-up. It never dawned on me when I was listening to, you know, my grandfather's uh, Bill Cosby albums that I would ever, you know, be doing that. And I never thought when I was watching politics and kind of following it that I would ever have anything to do with it. And I had written some material for 
uh, an appearance by Rush Limbaugh for a conservative organization in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, they contacted me and said, you know, he's coming, he's doing a speech. They want some local, you know, localize it. So I wrote some local jokes and he used some of them, blah, blah, blah. And the guy who organized it had worked in the Nixon and Ford White Houses and was a friend of Pat's. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I knew who Pat was from, you know, the McLaughlin group. That's all I knew. Right. You know, it's a, Eleanor, my swelling all, you know. <laughs> and so this White House guy calls me. He's an older gentleman. And he says, Michael, just got off the phone with Pat Buchanan. He wants to run for president. No one in South Carolina will take his campaign because the governor, who was a very powerful governor, Carol Campbell at the time, governor says anyone who works in his campaign, he's going to destroy their careers. Pat told me I need to find him someone who's smart enough to do the job and dumb enough to take it. I go, you're the first person I thought of. And uh, so I suddenly found myself as a very young person, you know, working on this presidential campaign. And I, you know, I didn't know a lot about Pat and I really wasn't involved in the issues. And he also, I, I, I would remind people in 1992, he was not the Pat Buchanan of the European, you know, ethos he was the you know trump screwed i mean uh bush screwed us on the tax cut he was much more you know in that vein so yep. sure I, i'm doing the campaign and i, I and i'm assuming basically like, this is just fry. i was working on other stuff i was trying to figure out what i was going to do next so you know they paid me had a nice paycheck i had a, a, an office by the way office donated by the south carolina democratic party mm -hmm. which I told you everything you need to know about what they thought of pat right then right. and uh, all of a sudden he comes to new hampshire gets almost 40% of the vote against an incumbent Republican sitting president. Yep, I walked I to my office the next day, having never talked to a reporter. There are 29 TV cameras sitting outside my office, including a guy from Brazil. And I'll, I'll tell you, my Portuguese is not what it once was. It was a very interesting interview. And suddenly I was working in campaigns and the same thing happened. Uh, I, I apparently didn't just do things too badly. And I got a phone call. Here's a state Senate campaign. Here's a state legislator campaign. And next thing I, I didn't even know you could do that. Once again, I didn't know this job existed. Right. And I spent the next few years running mostly Republican primaries in South Carolina, North Carolina, New York, and Illinois. See, I, I had this idea after I got out of Congress and I tried to sell it. I, I pitched it to a number of uh, local universities, all of whom listened politely and never got back to me about creating <laughs> a master's degree in, in, in the business of politics, not just mm -hmm. campaign management, but the entire business of politics. I kept thinking about all these 22 year olds getting yep. out of school who are actually running the country. And, <laughs> and what if instead of learning on the job, on the campaigns, yep. um, the kids actually had some training and experience from experienced professionals like yourself in the business of politics, which extends beyond, you know, people don't know what it's in, but it's like it's running uh, politics. It's like when you're campaign running a campaign or working in a campaign, it's like working in a startup yeah. that is going to hire a huge number of people take in a huge amount of money, spend a huge amount of money and be up and gone uh, in the course of a couple of months. Yep. And uh, there's accounting, there's legal stuff, there's a lot of communications and media, there's management, there's, there's, all, there's logistics, there's all kinds of things that as far as I know, there's no organized program around that says this is how it all fits together. I thought it was a good idea, but but nobody else <laughs> did. But anyway, listen. After after you you you. Well, let me just you, add something to that because I think it's uh, if you're for political junkies, this is interesting. So, 
people would ask me because I was young at the time, you know, and, uh, you know, why are you running this campaign? And, uh, and I would say I would point to the example of Strom Thurmond, the longtime U.S. senator from South Carolina, as you know, served until he was uh, 412 years old. And I mean, he was an amazingly, astonishingly old person. I mean, there's no ways about it. Uh, he, was really uh, old. He, he participated in the Normandy invasion. In fact, he yeah, was one of the right. oldest people. Do you remember the Norman invasion? 1066, the Normans, the Angles. He was there. Uh, true story. Absolute true story. When Strom Thurmond was 44, he married a 22-year-old Miss South Carolina beauty pageant contestant. When Strom Thurmond turned 66, he married a 22-year-old Miss South Carolina beauty pageant contestant. When Strom Thurmond turned 88, they had to cancel the Miss South Carolina beauty contest. Nobody wanted to be in Miss South Carolina. But, um, but he, the fact is, I mean, he was a guy who served, you know, well past his prime. He only ran for office. I think it was, I calculated the time, he'd run for office eight times in his whole life. Right. It's putting yep. for office is just something people don't do very often. And the yeah. reason why there is this consultant class isn't because the candidates aren't smart or can't do it. It's because... Running a can like you just said, it's running a campaign is a thing. It's a weird thing. It's like you know organizing a dinner. It's like you know, you know building a fire. It's just these weird set of skills. And so what I was able to offer is, look, I'm you know I'm not, I'm young, but I've already done this 35 times. Right. So let me show you what I learned doing it 35 times. And I'm still open that there's smarter ways to do it for the next 35, but I already did a bunch of this stuff and screwed it up already. So you're really just benefiting from my screw ups because politics is fundamentally an amateur, excuse me, running campaigns is fundamentally an amateur sport. Yeah. Well, well, listen, so now I just want to move us along because yes. you, now in your life, you've been a stand-up comic, you've run campaigns, and now you really turn to the dark side and <laughs> you you move to the talk radio circuit. And, yes, and yes. let me just say that in trolling the internet to find out a little bit about you for my <laughs> listeners so that I could be educated about you and we would have a reasonably intelligent a thoughtful conversation. Yeah, good luck with uh, that. I saw, I found your self-proclaimed description as quote, loud, obnoxious, and frequently fired. Now, who wants to hire a talk radio host who's been loud, obnoxious, and frequently fired? That's kind of a redundant question <laughs> because we've had the example since the time that you right. were so famously on talk radio of, of a lot of very loud, very obnoxious, <laughs> but rarely fired, especially right-wing media hosts mm -hmm. who have who have really caused, I think, a, a huge shift in the mm -hmm. political and social landscape of the country. I mean, whatever people think about Rush Limbaugh, for example, as the leading proponent of loud, obnoxious, and frequently fired, and, and whatever you think of our, our friend Alex Jones, um, you, you and by my questions, you can tell, I don't think too much about these guys. <laughs> um, they caused a huge shift. The rise of loud, obnoxious right-wing talk radio, which apparently you were part of, really changed the culture of the United States. What do you think? No, I, I think it did. Um, I, I, you can you know trace it back uh, to the early days with Joe Pine up in New York, and there were other conversational or spoken word radio things going. But I will just first thing I want to say is. I loved doing talk radio. It was the best gig I ever had. I had more fun, caused more trouble, you know, paid the bills. It was absolutely great. I was driven out of talk radio by uh, Donald Trump. I'm not a big uh, Trump fan. And, and, you know, radio listeners decided that you had to be on board with Trump. 
on you know conservative talk or they just you know they weren't gonna they weren't gonna hang around so that's when i uh that's when i got out but uh when rush limbaugh was at his peak before he decided to become a republican people forget this but when trump when he first started he was just anti-establishment he was right. absolutely he was you know pound yeah. anybody it was, he was funny he had funny bits and the thing that made rush uh unique was it was before the internet you know the internet was just starting to come up and so people really were left with these limited avenues for information. You had the paper, you had three t television networks, you know, cable news was kind of happening, but just, you know, getting started. And here's this guy who's saying stuff uh, on the radio that all your friends were saying in your private conversations, but you just couldn't hear them anywhere because people like Paul Hodes controlled CBS, NBC, ABC. And they just wouldn't let those conversations happen. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a king of political correctness and, and who, <laughs> who, want, who wants to listen to exactly. that windbag talk yeah, about exactly. himself so, all the so time. So that was, those were the glory days and he was, it was very important. But then what happened is, uh, you know, talk radio went from, you know, just a handful of stations to all over the place. Then you had a bunch of wannabe wrestling boss who didn't get it. They thought that being obnoxious and loud was the point. They didn't understand that entertaining, compelling, finding stories that you otherwise would have missed, you know, all the things that, that, that he was doing this thing called a show. He was very good at doing his show. And so you had a bunch of, you know, crap after that. And then you had the internet and then eventually Facebook. And now everybody gets to be their own Rush Limbaugh in their own, you know, silo yelling at their 32 followers. And so the, the moment is passed and now we're in this, uh, this new media moment and it's fascinating. So uh, talk to me a little bit about um, uh, in the few minutes we have in this segment about uh, moving on to New Hampshire Journal. And um, now all of a sudden you're in the you're in the a different end of the media business. I, you're in the the Internet newspaper business mm -hmm. or the newsletter business or what exactly do we call <laughs> the online NH Journal and and those of its ilk? Right. Well, I mean, I, I, as far as I know, they're the news business because, you know, most people are reading the New York Times online. Most people are reading, uh, you know, the, I, well, I don't know about the union leader, I don't know their numbers, but, you know, most news outlets, you're reading them in some, uh, you know, digital form, very, you know, the number of people getting a piece of paper, you know, and say, let me get to the third page here, Martha. That's just not, you know, that's not where people are. So we are a news outlet. I, I actually, I have a confession to make. I, I've been in the newspaper business a lot longer than I want to confess. When I was a teenager, I wrote a humor column every week for the local West Columbia Casey Journal, for which I was paid the princely sum of 10 cents a word. Mm -hmm. And uh, so and I've written off and on. I was the uh, token conservative for a bunch of alternative alt, alt newspapers back when those were a thing. And I had a, had a lot of fun and success with that. So I ended up with inside sources when I came back to New England after, uh, you know, after a, a, a mistaken jaunt down south in pursuit of a talk radio job. And next thing I knew, uh, I was writing for New Hampshire Journal, and then I was managing it, and then I was managing the content for Inside Sources, which is a national media content company. And now I am the owner and CEO of Inside Sources, which means, number one, I work for myself, and number two, my boss is an a-hole. And that's uh, that's my experience. So there you go. You know, working for yourself is really it's 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 that that is the American dream. People say the American dream is dead, <laughs> but you have you have just proved that it's yeah. not true. That that's not true because I mean, think about it. You you born in Los Angeles, grew up in the South. Uh, radio radio uh, a a a stand up comic, a political <laughs> strategist, a radio talk show host, and now the owner of what is, I think, fair to say, the leading conservative 
uh, political news source in New Hampshire because mm-hmm. uh, in my in my view, although you and I disagree on on everything, um, <laughs> the New Hampshire the New Hampshire Journal is is uh, uh, certainly at least when it comes to Republicans. Um, a a fairly unbiased and a somewhat objective view of what's going on in right wing world. So this is the pledge I've made to our readers. I will never be I will never fail to meet the standard of unbiased reporting that we find every day at The New York Times and New Hampshire Public Radio. I have made that go. pledge and I've never failed. I've We're never talking- dripped dip below the standard that they've set. We're going to talk now with Michael about some of the races that are getting hot because we are uh, broadcasting this on on or about Labor Day. Uh, the primary is just a few, few short weeks away. And while there isn't much primary action on the Democratic side, on the Republican mm. side, things are hot and heavy. And there are candidates who are very interesting that we don't know anything about. So I'm going to sort of work my way up from the bottom with some of the names. And well, you're going to the- try, but I'm going to interrupt and be the jerk talk shows because I want to ask you a question sure. that has been asked me. Like, why is it that there aren't uh, that Democratic primaries are so few and far between in New Hampshire? Because uh, oh, it's, yeah, I, we t- I, yeah, Democrats are so disciplined. That's why we're I just, just I know we're, I'm just I just there are a, there are a significant number of progressives in the state. Obviously, Bernie Sanders has done well here. And yet you have uh, candidates who are, shall we say, less than progressive and yeah. they uh, remain largely unchallenged. And so uh, it's a I, question so here's, I get. So here, let me hear Paul Hode's answer to this. Here's the answer. The answer is most Democrats who are successful in New Hampshire are centrists. Um, I styled myself a progressive centrist. Um, and we have a very strong party. Uh, and I think that uh, com- the the kind of centrality of successful Democrats and the uh, strength of the party organization uh, tend to tamp down um, messy primaries. Now, I mean, we've had them and we'll, we'll have them, but it's nothing like, uh, the, the Republican scene, especially in 2022. And, and frankly, that's because at least in the federal races that I want to talk about today, Mm -hmm. uh, we've got incumbents. So it's, you're not going to find too much of a challenge to the incumbents because, uh, I think, Folks recognize that New Hampshire is a kind of purple state, uh, and you don't want to make too much trouble for your incumbent. And so, yet Kelly Ayotte had a challenge, yeah, uh, primary sure. challenge, and sure, sure, sure. Uh, Chris Sununu has four or five primary yeah. challenges this time right. around. So, so incumbency on the Republican who, side will not save you. Who's challenging? Who's challenging the governor? So uh, uh, I'm going to mess up his name, Thad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I apologize, Thad. I don't have the picture in front of me. Karen Testerman, who ran against him before, Julian Asiard. I really feel bad because, first of all, there aren't enough people named Thad in the world. So we need more of, of them, yeah. generally I, speaking. I went to school with Thad fan. Riley. Thad Riley. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And uh, so and they're running on the premise that uh, and I know that your listeners will find this hilarious. Uh, you know, Chris Noon is too liberal for uh-huh. them. Yeah. And uh, but that's what the premise of uh, Thad Riley and his group and they are running. And I guess my point is that going back all the way to Pat Buchanan, there are Republicans who are, you know, whose ideology trumps party loyalty. And so it's very common 
to find yourself facing primary challenges as Republicans. And as a Democrat, it does, it does not seem to be nearly as common. I mean, you think about, for example, uh, both Representative Pappas and Senator Hassan have embraced the Title 42 uh, uh, policy at the border. And there are some very angry uh, progressives, and we've uh, covered the, their protests at nhjournal.com, and they make very principled arguments. Um, but, you know, no, I'm like, well, so somebody run. Oh, we couldn't do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I, I and also, on the Republican side, I guarantee you, yeah. if you had that kind of issue, there would be somebody running. You know, it's it's also I, I don't know. Maybe Democrats are just smarter. That is they, could definitely be it. And and they know <laughs> that it's hard to raise money in a primary in the first place, and then it's doubly hard to raise money in a primary when you're trying to raise money against uh, a popular incumbent. So if you're a Democrat looking to go against a Democrat, and let's say you're further left than the incumbent, which right. you know, if you take a look at our current slate of uh, political office holders on the federal side in New Hampshire you would be hard pressed to say that any of the democrats are particularly progressive uh, there's a lot for the left wing to to really um chew on there but raising the dough is tough and maybe democrats you know just are smart enough to say why should we why should we try to raise the dough? Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to do it. It's not going to be successful. We're just going to make, so we'll make our <laughs> point, but we'll weaken our incumbent and maybe right. um, a centrist incumbent is better than a Republican. So why don't we all just say kumbaya, get together and uh, we'll whine and moan <laughs> and uh, protest outside their offices. But in the right. end, We'll get out and canvas for them. Yeah, I never hear Republicans smart enough to make that argument. They, there you go. They, That's make, a pretty they make very argument. different arguments. So wait a second. Let's go back. I want to go back. We we, sure. we touched on uh, the governor's race where right. there are four people, some of whose names you remember, to who are running against him. And 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 right now it looks like his popularity is high and mm -hmm. he's in pretty good shape with uh right. with uh, independents as well as some democrats who have ignored his record but putting that aside there's a, a race for the US Senate that's gotten um some moderate some some attention and there are people in the race that I don't know anything about there's a there there's a there are two fellows Vikram Mansharamani right. and Tejasina Sivalangam I don't know yeah, uh, I only know Vikram because Vikram's spending money. We have a rule at NH Journal. If you don't have an FEC report, we don't we don't cover you. Okay. When we did our debates, for example, yeah. there are theoretically 11 people running for U.S. Senate. We had five debates because see. no one else had an FEC file. So, so let's see. But Vikram's a real candidate and he's yep. spending real money. And he's uh, he was at Harvard. He was an instructor. His contract was not renewed, he says, because he would. They found out he was running for Senate as a Republican, and his slogan is a businessman, not a politician. And uh -huh. uh, he's very, you know, smart, and he's written books and uh, traveled the world, and uh, and he's currently polling in the single digits, uh, at least in the the latest poll we have. There's not a lot of polling data to go off of in right. New Hampshire. And what's his business? Uh, he's a entrepreneur academic. So he's like, he's, he does consulting. He's written books. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he's one of those, one of those guys and, kind of like and, you, Paul, we're not sure what you're uh, up to. That's that right. Who knows what a, a Renaissance, exactly. a Renaissance <laughs> yeah. man, uh, i.e. master of many talents, a master yes. of none. So, so there's Vikram in the single digits. Um, how about the name John Berman on the, I on the know. radar? Once again, I, I, there's only five candidates that are on the radar. Okay. Uh, Vikram, uh, former Lenadary town manager, Kevin Smith, um, uh, State Senate President Chuck Morse, uh, General Don Bolduck, 
Yeah. yeah. And so, so let's talk about Kevin Smith. Um, mm-hmm. Who is he? Where is he from? And what's 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 his beef with? So, well, world? he was the former. He was the town manager at Londonderry for the past ten-ish years, and he resigned to run this race. He had been in the legislature ten years earlier. He was at uh, the pro-family organization Cornerstone back in the day, and he uh, consensus is that he's won all of the debates we've seen. Very uh-huh. good at debating. Very, you know, he's young. He's smart. He's glib. Should be a good candidate. It, but for whatever reason, he's also in the single digits. And is 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 he a big lie guy? Uh, the the only person who's in the neighborhood of the big lie, as you mean it. And by the way, just to make it perfectly clear. Of course, Trump lost. He got forty six percent of the vote. Poll showed he was at forty six percent. He got forty six percent. No surprise there. But uh, only Bullduck is in that neighborhood. And I think even he. I'm not. You know what? I'm not sure. He said several things. So he hasn't, for example, Caroline Levitt running in the first CD, she has openly embraced Joe Biden stole the election. He did not get those votes. So I see. And, and she stands out as the person who's saying that most of the Republicans are trying to nuance their way through. They know that a portion of the base wants to hear it was stolen. They also know that they want to win a general election. And so they're saying things like investigations are good. It was, you know, let's do an audit, you know, which kind of, how can you argue right. against that? Right? Yeah, Tra- right. Transparency. So that's where most of the Republicans, I don't want to speak for general Bolduck and misrepresent him. His position is, is a little more cloudy to me in my yeah. reporting at nhjournal.com. So the general consensus I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think I saw a poll today or yesterday mm-hmm. at a UNH that said that Bolduck is polling ahead of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people expected Chuck Morse um to to really take off in in this race and to be able to build a solid campaign and uh is it a surprise that Bolduck is polling uh, like that and is he polling ahead of Morse um, oh yeah he's well I mean well once again in, in the polls he's definitely uh uh you know in the lead in the UNH poll he was up almost two to one over Chuck Morse in the 40s uh I will tell you that based on a mix of seeing internal polls from some of the candidates, seeing some stuff out of DC from Republicans are trying to figure out if they're going to play here for the general election. I, I have no doubt that general Bullduck is in the lead, but I doubt that he's up close to 40%. Uh, I suspect he's more closer to 30%, which means that if after you and I talk here, that some national money comes in and starts carpet bombing him as a candidate and gives Republicans a reason to not vote for him, a few days of that could completely shuffle this race because it's just there is no breakout front runner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he yeah. is without a doubt the front runner. And anyone who thinks he's not is not. And I, to me, the lesson of the three Republican races thus far is they have changed very little over the past six months because the campaigns have done very little. And when you right. don't do anything, you get more of the same. And the fact that nobody has given Republican primary voters a reason not to vote for Don Bolduck. Remember, he ran two years ago in right. the primary against Corky Messner. So he already had 43% of primary voters that already voted for him once. Right. So yeah. then, you know, he's, he's a general. He comes yeah. on TV. He yeah. looks like a general. I voted uh-huh. for him. Why not? Now, his right. opponents will give you a long litany of, of things. They say he's too extreme. He said too many crazy things. He's out there. But they haven't told the voters that. Yeah. So, you know, you know uh, Governor Sununu has called him out, calls him a fringe candidate, yeah. says he's a conspiracy theory candidate who can't win. But having the governor say that on a news interview isn't the same as communicating 
your message to the voters? Well, listen, having the governor of New Hampshire uh, say that um, uh, to a Republican base probably just turns more people towards Bolduc. I mean, they say, you know, if this liberal, if this liberal rhino governor, <laughs> Sununu, is bashing Bolduc, he right. must be somebody we like. I mean, let's carry the flag and go back to the Capitol. Come on, we did it once, we'll do it again, and he could lead the way. What a what a great leader for the next insurrection. Well, that sounds like a great slate of candidates uh, to take on uh, Maggie Hassan, <laughs> assuming Bolduc wins. Uh, maybe it will have been because uh, the, the Democratic National Committee poured uh, millions into the race. Not his race. Not his race. That's radar. the second. Nobody that's your knows. old race. No. They're, they're spending money in the second yeah, right. CD um, on behalf of Bob Burns. They are. So, yes. Really? And, yes. and, because, and let's go to the second CD. I love okay. the second CD because I loved being a congressman. I was, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was a real honor and a privilege of mine and without this, no joke, no stand up comedy. It was really, a, and we got some, I got, you know, we got some good things done. So why are Democrats trying to pump up and plump up Bob Burns? Well, because uh, they believe that he is a weak candidate, uh, keen mayor, George Hansel, who is a Republican and won, you know, 90 percent of the vote in Keene. You know, that's that that shows you that he's able to attract uh, non-Republican voters. And so uh, Congresswoman uh, Annie Custer has the lowest approval rating in the state among the uh, top Democrats. She always has, based on my review of the polls, she rarely polls above 40, 41 percent. Her reelect is 39 percent. And so if you have a mayor of Keene who's not, you know, hard to take a young, smart business guy you know, swing Democrats and independents might vote for him. But Bob Burns is very Trumpy. And and as as you know, uh, I try to remind people, Donald Trump has never won New Hampshire. So the more you identify with Donald Trump, the more you identify with somebody who is unable to build a majority. And so they'd like to see him. So there are a series of illegal mailings coming into New Hampshire out of uh, a mail shop in Massachusetts, a story we broke in NH Journal. And now it's followed up by uh, TV ads from a uh, national Democratic PAC. And uh, there's the race. Folks, I think that's a dumb idea. Okay. I'm a Democrat. I think it's a <laughs> dumb idea. Would you stop playing in Republican primary politics? It's just dumb. It doesn't look good. When the voters find out about it, nobody's happy. It just doesn't feel like it does just doesn't feel like something smart. The Republicans have have their own thing. Let them they'll work <laughs> it out. That's how democracy works. But the idea that Democrats are pumping money into Republican races, I mean, I know we tried it in, in their they're in, in races out west. It's, I just think it's dumb. It's a waste of money. Go for your own candidate who who needs it. Help them with their campaign, please. So, if you're listening to me, DNC, stop. Are you familiar with the movie The Hunt for Red October? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So at the yeah, end, yeah. the you know Russian bad guy is chasing the Russian good guy with the Americans, and so they yeah. run the sub at the russian you know, they, the americans run their sub at the russian the other way and the uh the whatever the co-pilot looks at the genius russian sub opera and says you idiot you've killed us all and that's the reason to not put money behind people that you think you know are a danger to democracy if you really think they're dangerous to democracy and you're pumping them up you know the, you, as you know paul hodes the accidental congressman when it's down to two people anything can happen who yeah. knows who's going to show up? Who knows yep. what the weather? Who knows the mood? Yep. Whatever. Yep. And uh, so that's the part that bothers me. Either the people that embrace 
the vision that the you know, elections can't be trusted and you know Donald Trump should be able to take anything home that he wants from the, the Department of Defense. Either they are, in fact, a, a, a dangerous democracy, in which case you should not help them, or this is all just Democratic PR. They know that they're just dumb candidates. They're not a threat to democracy. And so they're just going to play traditional politics games. One has or the other. Anybody, Pick one. Has, an, has anybody in CD2... I mean, other than Bob Burns, who's getting all his help from Democrats, apparently. Uh, anybody else raised any any real money in CD2? Because so th whatever you say about Annie, Annie Custer, from the right or the left, mm. she's she's a tremendous money raiser. Absolutely. Um, but, the, but this is the she's point. Got, uh, it, she's got a real war chest. The, it, do, it doesn't matter how big her war chest is if... Uh, future speaker Kevin McCarthy thinks that that seat is winnable. They will reach into their big bag of you know DC money and they'll dump the money. They, you, Republicans aren't going to lose very many seats because of resources, and it's not whether the local candidate can raise it; it's whether or not it's winnable. The three candidates are Keen Mayor uh, George Hansel, uh, Bob Burns, who's leading in all the polls, and Lily Tang Williams, who came to the U.S. from China. And she has a very strong message that she fears that the country she loves is turning into the country she left. And so those are the three candidates. Uh, and uh, Lily Tang Williams has not polled that well thus far. Uh, what's Bob Burns' background, please? Uh, you know what? He's run for office a lot. That's all. That's all I know him. Uh -huh. I, 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 you know, he's, he's he's been around for a while. And uh, yeah. he, I, I, I can't. I'm, I apologize, well, Bob. I should know your business. I don't know. Uh-huh. Well, you know, that's New there's Hampshire. a lot of candidates. People, you know, you got five in seat in right. NH in the first, you got three in second, you got five for US Senate. It's just uh, it's there's a lot of math. It's, I was told there would yeah. be no math. Yeah, well, there you go. So <laughs> so does it look like Hansel's oh we have, we, we didn't candidate. mention one of the we didn't mention one of the Senate candidates, Bruce Fenton. He's a libertarian, he is yep. a Bitcoin guy. Yeah, he yeah. said he was gonna spend 1.6 million of his Bitcoin on this race. We have not seen that money uh in evidence. He's very hardcore libertarian unapologetic and uncompromising and he's also in low single digits am i correct that he's has the money but just hasn't spent any of it i haven't seen he spent some but you know with this this 1.6 yeah. million uh, i've yet to see that in evidence there there you go yeah. and and where are people spending their money these days if they have any where are they spending it? They're they're not spending it on television. I mean, you know, they're not. They're 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 are well, are they? Are they spending yes. it on TV? Are they spending it on social media? They're spending it on TV. Um, they're spending on WMUR, and uh, so that's why uh -huh. every morning when I'm working on my you know uh, stuff, I I have the MUR on to see what's going on and what other media outlets are doing, as you know. And uh, lots of back to back to back to back to back ads. And here we are with just, you know, uh, less than two weeks to go. And there's even more ads. And, and of course, Hassan and Pappas are already spending. That means you've got another set of ads. And so right. I wonder how many candidates who would have had a chance if they had said, I'm going to have an early strategy and try to build some momentum, realizing I may, you know, be on fumes at the end. If they had, if they now wish they'd done that now that their ads are being dropped in with everybody else's. What about CD one? What's going on over there? We've got, so Matt Mowers was kind of a, that's in. By the way, that 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 is an is an interesting race to me. Yes, it is, and it's interesting because I think Pappas is more vulnerable than Custer. Um, the second CD has always been more progressive than the first. Uh, we did go through all the 
the, the Sturm und Drang of trying to redistrict and make CD1 invincibly Republican. Um, it didn't, it didn't quite, ha- it didn't quite happen, but it's still a Republican leaning district. And Pappas has been trying to um, separate himself from Biden on this and that and the other. Um, but he's a, he's a reliable centrist businessman, a Democrat. Um, but there are a lot of people who think that this year, and they probably thought it more a few months ago than they mm-hmm. may think it now, at least in terms of the generic approach to who's, whether Republicans are up or down for the House, they thought Pappas was going to be more vulnerable than they, he may prove to be. But you've got some pretty strong and um, uh, arguably reasonable candidates. We talked a little bit about Carolyn Levitt, who is a big lie conspiracy theorist. She was, she was a former press aide in Trump's White House. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the, apparently the elect, election denier of the bunch. But then you've got Matt Mowers, who, uh, as I recall, has run before mm-hmm. um, and looks to be uh, leading that race. Well, uh, as we speak, a poll came out today from UNH that showed the race very, very close within the margin of error. And uh, it's the second poll in the last six or seven days that have shown the race very close. Other polls have shown Mowers up. But without, the people I talk to say that Caroline Levitt has been gaining steadily. She's been on TV. She has good ads. And she is she just became legally old enough to serve. I think last week or maybe the week before. So she just now is 25 years old timing, and she's very smart. She's very good at campaigning. She is a political talent, no doubt about it. Uh, But uh, Mowers was the candidate two years ago. Uh, Trump endorsed him two years ago. Trump has not endorsed in that race thus far. And a lot of the viewing, a lot of smart people tell me that he's the Goldilocks candidate. He's not the most Trumpy, but he's Trumpy enough. He's not you know, a pure old school mainstream Republican, but he's not, you know, deviates too far away. You know, he's, he's kind of the easiest to take of the group. And therefore the thinking is that votes will coalesce around and not necessarily true. Gail Huff Brown, a TV personality, the wife of Scott Brown, she's running. She just released a very powerful, uh, uh, ad about, uh, her decision when she went into labor, when her, uh, unborn child was only 20 weeks old to, you know, to risk her life to have the child. And she says she will fight to protect that choice. It's not often you see pro-choice ads inside Republican primaries. So we'll see how that uh, works out. And um, Russ Prescott was a state senator and executive counselor, a solid, traditional, old school New Hampshire Republican, you know, tax cuts, uh, spending cuts, you know, fiscal green eye shade guy. And he's yeah. in the race. And then Representative Tim Baxter, who's a representative today, who also is barely old enough to serve, uh-huh. uh, has run an effective, uh, most people agree, an effective campaign without a lot of resources. And he's endorsed by Rand Paul. So that kind of summarizes his view. So the national news is that 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 campaigns and candidates seem to be edging, if not uh, walking or crawling or some cases running away from Donald Trump after the search at Mar-a-Lago revealed that uh, we may have a uh, a real problem with uh, Donald Trump and his record his record retention strategy which was basically to say this all this stuff is mine I was president I can take whatever I want I want the I want the I want the napkins from the dining room I want the paper towels with the presidential seal from the bathrooms and oh yeah I want 30 boxes of top secret classified documents that imperil the national security. But I digress. The national news says candidates are are moving away from Trump. From what I'm hearing from you, 
that doesn't seem to be the case in New Hampshire. If Carolyn Levitt, um, an election denier and the Trumpier, the Trumpiest of the Trumpers is on the rise, maybe that's not true in New Hampshire. Is New Hampshire bigger for Trump on the Republican side than the national uh, average? No, uh, it's the last state to have competitive primaries. And so everybody else, the, the, the candidates you're talking about, for example, Blake Masters in Arizona was super uber Trump, and then he won the nomination. And then he went, oh, wait, I want non-Republicans to vote for me. I I want people who don't watch the Steve Bannon show on streaming live to vote for me. And so suddenly he took a different stance. And obviously this happens on the the you know democrat among democrats too where you know it's a lot of uh kooky ideas that have hashtags and involved uh, the yes. police, they get dropped after you become the nominee and yep. so that's we're still in the become the nominee phase uh, we'll see where that goes uh, afterwards but bob burns your you know the guy in your team he Michael, will not we're change gonna, his stance we're gonna have to leave it there this okay. is capital close-up i'm paul hodes michael graham of new hampshire journal thank you for joining me let's do this some more Anytime.